Well, hello, everyone. Um, this is Ben and Cynthia Bailey, and you are joining us at our kitchen table uh, as we open up Luke 24, uh, as we are beginning this fall, the men's and women's Bible study, The Promised One by Nancy Guthrie. And it's part of her series of seeing Jesus through the Old Testament. And so we are really looking forward to seeing Jesus in Genesis together. Yeah, so how we think this could be helpful or ways that people can use this one. You could just listen to this audio um, alone as a devotional tool. And if you listen each week, um, our goal, our hope is to record and send one out uh, each each Monday. And you could listen to it just as a devotional tool and you could track with us through throughout the year. Or um, you could listen to it in, in pairs so you could get a partner and you could each read through the book and listen to it and follow along together and kind of use it to discuss, or you could listen to it as preparation. So anybody who's a part of the men's or women's Bible study, if you're facilitating or preparing for it, um, you can listen that way or hopefully be helpful. And if you wanted to just pick someone, um, if you can't meet with us when we meet, it'd be great to pick somebody and meet at another time. But we Mm -hmm. hope this will be a tool that'll help you uh, immerse yourself into the book. And our goal, we're not just going to reiterate and repeat what she says in the chapter because, you know, we assume you can read. But the point that we're going to do is we're going to try and walk through it in such a way that when you do read it or engage with it, it helps the material come alive. So that's kind of our goal. And we're going to be spending the next year, at least it's like 40 studies that she has walking through the Old Testament. So let's just think, like, think, let's think about for a second just what are some of the challenges reading the Old Testament? Well, for one, the books are really long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yep, the books are long. So long books, uh, the Old Testament's hard. Some uh, of them are just the bizarre. Books are long. The prophecies are just... Some of them are bizarre. Yeah. They're, some of them are just challenging. We're so removed culturally mm-hmm. from uh, from the books. I was amazed. So this past week we had um, the hurricane that... You know, Hurricane Dorian. Dorian, that fortunately didn't come here, but it was still a massive storm, and we kind of had to gather. And But one of the positive things is it forces like three or four days of vacation on you. And one of the things I had did was read a fabulous commentary on First and Second Chronicles, and I've never really spent a lot of time in <laughs> Said Chronicles. No one ever. <laughs> But it was marvelous. I had a wonderful hurricane vacation. And it was so good. But I have to admit, even like the first time, even just reading through Chronicles, I thought, what in the world is going on? And then, but the 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 writer did such a beautiful job of unpacking the mystery and the beauty and the glory and the depth and all of this. But it was not easy. So it's just, I mean, there's there's challenging books. They're long. Uh, a lot of them don't have a narrative flow. So some of them are, are difficult. Um, what else is just hard about reading the Old Testament? Or what's hard about reading, just reading in general? <laughs> Not being distracted, (laughs) stayed focused. Like, it's not just reading the Old Testament that's hard. I found, you know, just (laughs) reading is hard. Well, there's so many details. For me personally, I get lost in the detail. And so it's really helpful for me before I tackle a larger book of the Old Testament like Genesis. Um, And then recently the women went through Exodus. So prior to studying it, 
um, getting a good commentary with just a really great thorough overview so that you have this narrative arc that you kind of have in your mind that summarizes what you're about to read so you don't get lost in all the detail. Yeah, so not getting lost in details, um, having a good a good roadmap, a good sense of where you're going. The details are good, then, uh-huh. but uh, of course, because they're in there, um, but I tend to get lost in them. So that's just that having those summaries are really helpful. Mm-hmm. I think. But I think you hit on this focus, like mm-hmm. we're so distracted and distractible and it's just hard and I've found myself and I hate this I don't know why but recently I'm having to like when I'm reading my Bible especially I'm listening to the audio version and reading it at the same time because I need both inputs to stay zeroed in and stay focused and so it's just it's just stuff so what we hope is that these Bible studies will be helpful because they'll help kind of map out the territory so you can get a bigger sense of of what's going on and then just tools to help you uh, follow along and focus so for this first lesson what we're going to do is she actually doesn't begin the study in genesis in genesis she (laughs) begins in luke chapter 24 which is one of my favorite chapters i love the story of the disciples on the road to emmaus so what we're actually going to do is we're going to walk through this so this in essence is like Bible study at our kitchen table. <laughs> and so we'll walk for through it, it. For whatever it's worth. <laughs> whatever that's worth, if that's enjoyable for anyone. But, um, and so you can then use this for your, the Bible studies that, that you go to help set the stage. So Luke chapter 24 um, sets the stage. So let's, we've got our Bibles, so let's mm-hmm. turn there and let's read. So you begin reading in verse 13. Okay. And then go to... <clears throat> Go till 24. All right. And then I'll pick up at 25. Sounds good. So this is on the road to Emmaus. Mm -hmm. So verse 13 starts out. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went to them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, saying, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all of this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. 
And so they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he was going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road, while he opened up the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened to them on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. So here we have this passage. So this is at the end of Luke's gospel. And so this is on uh, Easter, Easter Sunday morning. Luke gives you three resurrection accounts where he appears to uh, Mary at the tomb and then Peter and John and then the disciples on the road to Emmaus and then again to the disciples at the end of the the chapter in, in Luke 24. And here this passage is such a good passage because it really illustrates how you can have a transforming encounter with the risen Christ. So how can you encounter him in such a way that it transforms you? Let's just look at how they were transformed, like what happened to them and what what journey were they on? Not the journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus, but the journey from, look at verse 17, what's the condition of their heart? They're sad. They're sad. And then notice in verse 25, what, how does Jesus criticize them? He says, oh, foolish ones, slow of heart. Mm-hmm. So they're sad, then they're slow. And then at the very end, it says, did our hearts not burn in 32? It has to be an S. It's got, right, so we need an <laughs> you got to complete the three, oh, the I've triad. I've got one. So they were sad <laughs> and then slow. And then finally they burned. So can you think of an S that's that burned? Don't sizzle. say sizzle. sizzle. Please yes. don't say sizzle. It, it, it has to be. No. It has to be. Simmer. Simmer. You can like nope. simmer down. Oh, no, oh, they were no, sizzling. Just, no. Oh, goodness. <laughs> All right, so how do you... <laughs> Hey. People, this is what I have to live with. <laughs> so the question is, how do we get from sad to sizzling? <laughs> that, that's got a good ring to it. We could work on that. All right, let's start. All right, so, <laughs> so their, their greatest need and our greatest need, my greatest need, your greatest need, our church's greatest need, our, our kids' greatest need, is to experience that um, hearts burning. Did our hearts not burn when he talked to us and opened up the scriptures where they had this encounter with Christ that transformed them? Uh, they began sad and they ended on fire. And so let's think for a minute just, all right, why, why were they in that condition? And then how do you get out of it? Mm-hmm. So first they were sad. Why, why were they sad? What was, what was the cause of it? They seemed disappointed. Disappointed? Oh, yeah. yeah. Look at, you really see it in essence in verse 21. Mm-hmm. But we had hoped, we had hoped that he was the one. So there's, there's disappointment, hope. We had hope, we had a hope for something and it's been dashed. So it really comes from, you know, hopes dashed, disappointment. You know, their hearts were breaking. And it's interesting because, I mean, in some sense, every single person you encounter in some way has had hopes dashed. You know, I remember just in ministry, the first time that landed on me is when we were sitting in our little Sunday school class at Corn Creek Baptist Church, mm-hmm. surrounded by, you know, 10 uh, just 
regular, normal country folks and looking around the room and just knowing, you know, having that pastoral privilege of knowing the stories mm-hmm. and looking around the room and think there's, you know, there's 10 people here and eight of them have secret, deep, mm-hmm. broken hearts, hopes mm-hmm. dashed. And, um, but what I find interesting here is notice kind of what's, what's the cause of the hope being dashed? We had hoped what? That he was the one. That he was the one. And it's interesting because so much of our heartbreak comes from, it's like experience that's rooted in relational disappointment. Mm-hmm. We had hoped he was the one. Mm-hmm. And so they were, the hope was dashed because someone in their life didn't live up to the expectations that they had for them. Mm-hmm. And so you just think how, how common that is in it for an experience for us, you know, how, so think first thing, how can, I don't know, what's the danger for mothers? How can mothers place? Oh, place what? <laughs> There's so many things we can misplace. <laughs> yeah. Or just, kind of, yeah, uh, how can, what, what's the danger for mothers? Where does the relational disappointment seep into? So yeah. much of it is, well, for me, I, I'm, I can't speak for everyone, but I know, um, this common, I guess, like, I guess expectations that aren't met are mm-hmm. really, um, self-inflicted where like we have these expectations of ourselves that, uh, we continually are not like living up to or don't feel mm-hmm. enough mm-hmm. in. And so it's almost like this self-inflicted dash of hope. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, but um, it's not, it's not necessarily directed towards others. It's internally directed. A lot of so it is I'm, internal. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, of course there's a lot of relational, um, conflict. There can mm-hmm. be marital conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course uh, just friendship conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, what, cause it's in, uh, often it's in the context of relationships you want to either perform a certain way that aren't or mm-hmm. l- relationships you're trying to control in a certain way and mm-hmm. can't. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think one of the places for like f- fathers, you know, it's, it's not uncommon for you know, father to seek to <laughs> atone for his own sense of inadequacy by making his children try and perform in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Like, I couldn't be this, but you will. You'll accomplish all the things I couldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so. and like so many disappointments that happen, it really is so helpful to reflect for me on like, why am I feeling sad or disappointed? Because so often it exposes areas of sin in our hearts, um, where we're not allowing the gospel to reach, Mm. like we're not believing the gospel Mm. can touch that or heal that Mm -hmm. or reconcile that Mm -hmm. or expose that. Um, we're holding tightly onto those things. And so, um, a lot of time it's, it's almost like it's the check and, you know, you you mentioned before in your sermons that, um, often, you were listening. I was listening. Wow. <laughs> he just looked at me like, "Really? You you referenced my sermon?" Uh, I do listen, um, but yeah, it's almost like the check engine light goes on. But so it's indicating something's going on under the hood. So you're so disappointment happens, a conflict happens so often um, because there's deeper underlying issues going on. So it's really it's just a really important practice for you to 
reflect upon why am I feeling disappointed? Because mm-hmm. um, very often it is a matter of sin in your heart. And of course, it's a matter of sin on the other person's part. Sometimes that's inflicting this, you know, wound or um, offense. But um, oftentimes we are easily too offended or too disappointed um, by our circumstances. Yeah, and I think it's interesting. We'll see in a minute how Jesus counsels them. And he doesn't say, oh, dear, dear, poor poor guys, come give me a hug. He actually <laughs> critiques them strongly. Mm-hmm. So we'll see that in a second. I think there's a couple other interesting things that you see here that are reasons for their sadness. And one is look right before that in verse 20. Or isn't it interesting when you're reading, did you notice, I mean, they knew all of the basic facts about who Jesus was. They had the story right. They followed him. They knew him. I mean, you can see all the, concerning Jesus and Nazareth. He was a prophet, mighty in deed and word. Those are the two structures that both Matthew and Mark give you of his entire ministry, ministry and word, ministry and deed before God and all the people. How the chief priests and rulers delivered him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But then there it stops. And so they don't have categories for resurrection. Mm-hmm. Just this, this life is all there is and death mm-hmm. is the end. And so that's why they have no hope, because that there, there's there's no resurrection. There's a huge piece of the story that they don't have. And isn't it so typical for us to despair, like of something happening when we don't even know, like God's already accomplished it. Yeah. And like so, God's like Jesus has already risen, and He's conquered death, and has you know has brought redemption through Himself. And they're despairing, like, oh, he's dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that, that is because that's one of the specific reasons for their hopelessness is Jesus is there, but they don't recognize him. Mm-hmm. They don't see him. They don't recognize he's there. Mm-hmm. They're spiritually blind. He's right in front of them. There's and, so much symbolism uh, there. Yeah. He's just right before us. He's right. Uh-huh. But what's interesting is look in verse 18. I love this because Cleopas is really annoyed at Jesus. He's astonished and annoyed. He's like, what? Are you the only person in Jerusalem who doesn't know? And the irony is he's talking to the only person who know, who fully knows. Who knows all. He knows, <laughs> he, he knows more than any other person what's actually happened. But he's got that, um, <laughs> that like... Uh, audacious. Uh, audacious. Yeah. yeah, annoyance, where he's just annoyed and he's astonished. And it's, don't you know? <laughs> and it's just the irony. Um, yeah, always be weary of people who say, oh, don't you know? Because <laughs> chances are good they don't. Um, <laughs> right, so now look, how does Jesus like heal them? Um, how does he heal them? I think it's really important that the first step is just look at verse 15. While they were walking and just discussing together, Jesus himself drew near. Mm-hmm. He, just, he draws near. So he drew near to them. And then notice the next thing he does is he just asks questions. It's so fascinating how often you see that's how he begins. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, one of the just kind of missional applications for us is, is just worth, you know, maybe the way Jesus is trying to draw near to people is through us. Like we just, you have to draw near. Mm-hmm. And the first thing to do is just ask questions. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at this question, verse 17. What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he hears them talking. What is this conversation you're having? I've been so struck with reading through after we returned from Israel in the spring. I was just reading over and over through Matthew and just so struck by how Jesus in almost every interaction during his ministry um, 
just was so personal in how he interacted with everybody. He went Mm -hmm. to where they were. Mm -hmm. He drew new, he drew near to them and he met them where they were at in their moment of need or in their station or him. He, he lowered himself on all fronts with all people and just the, I don't know, just the posture of humility that that is and just the posture of compassion that that is and conveys. Um, I just love seeing that aspect of him uh, Mm -hmm. in his interactions. Mm -hmm. Um, Very seldomly does he heal from afar and just say, okay, that person's healed Mm -hmm. and keeps on going. So often he draws near physically to that person and meets their need where they are at. But it's interesting because the way he meets the need is with strong verbal confrontation. Mm -hmm. So he is incredibly kind and compassionate and enters in, Mm -hmm. but then won't leave them where they are Mm -hmm. and then doesn't pander to them Mm -hmm. where they are. I mean, look at verse 25. Look at his response. Oh, foolish ones. I mean, he really, I wouldn't, I haven't looked this up, but I'd be intrigued to look it up in the Greek and see if it's, <laughs> and that might be a little softened. Uh, he might be say fools, you know, we see if it's in the vocative case, fools and slow of heart to believe. And uh, I also think it's interesting to notice up until one of the problems that they had had is, notice all right, who, who is doing all of the talking from verse, in essence, 17 all the way to 24? Or 18. From 17 to 18? No, 18 to 24. 18 to 24. Cleopas is doing all the talking. And it's interesting that in one sense, as long as he, as long as they're doing the talking, they're misguided. <laughs> and then he's, gonna, I mean, one of the first things that really has to help you is, you, you mean, in, Oof, that's convicting for me. <laughs> sometimes you have to stop talking. <laughs> Like, it's a, maybe they were just verbal processors and they were processing out loud. But at some point, story of my life. At some point, he has to stop them. I didn't mean that. In any I was just uh-huh. noticing that uh, sometimes they got to stop talking. And then notice what he says: "Oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken." But it's fascinating what he he criticized them that says you don't understand the Old Testament. Not you don't understand what I've been doing the last three years. You don't understand me. You don't understand the, the Old Testament. And I think it's fascinating. He criticizes it's, it's slow of heart to believe. You have no reason to be sad because you're not thinking right. And that's convicting because there mm-hmm. are times where he enters into the sadness and weeps with people who weep. But here he says, you don't have, you don't have reason to be sad because you're not thinking and that's a challenge. Sometimes when we're sad, because I think it's worth pausing and like you were saying a minute ago, is you have to analyze, all right, why am I sad about this? Why are my hopes um, feeling a sense of hopelessness? Like, do I have good reason? I mean, he says their problem is they don't believe what was, he said, look, we've told you, this shouldn't surprise you. If you had read the Old Testament, my, my, my death and resurrection would not surprise you. Um, and that's the interesting phrase, slow of heart. Lethargic, dull, slow of heart. And how often do you feel this? And he says the problem is slow of heart to believe the Old Testament. So how often do you read like things like First and Second Chronicles and <laughs> are slow of heart to engage or believe? And some of this is, you know, there's just seasons and just certain personalities. Like we have um, two of our children are like 
Labrador retrievers where they wake up early, ready to go, and it's like they're not, they're energetic about everything. And then uh, others move slower, <laughs> need more time. And I've been amazed. I feel like I've changed in this way over the years. I don't know. Maybe it's just having kids, but I need a lot more time to get revved up than <laughs> feel slow apart all the time. <laughs> And but it, the question is like when you're reading the scriptures, is does it take a lot of work to get mm-hmm. your heart primed? Mm-hmm. I almost feel like that you know this old beat up truck that it takes about 15 minutes to get it cranked up. You just got to keep like, <laughs> come on, Betsy. And <laughs> sometimes you're reading the Old Testament. Betsy. That's the way I feel in my heart. Like, come on, get engaged. Uh, I feel like it and, depends, though. It depends on the setting. Mm-hmm. Because there are things that can quicken my heart, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, worship music uh, can very quickly, like within the span of the song, really soften my heart and um, I think quicken it yeah, towards I, the Lord. Yeah. You know, and that's a really important thing to know: to know yourself mm-hmm. and to know how you can engage and the mm-hmm. things you need to keep your heart from being cold or being mm-hmm. slow or being these mm-hmm. things. Yeah, and notice, notice what he says. In verse 26, this is fascinating. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things? He said this had to happen. Mm-hmm. And see, in one sense, their hearts were dull. See, they knew that Jesus had died, but the real transformation comes when you realize that he had to die, mm-hmm. that he had to. This was part of the plan. This was part of his ministry. This was the need, that Jesus didn't come just to give give them example or to be a political leader, to lead them out of their difficulty. They needed a savior. And, and that truth really, I think, brings a certain level of sadness, sobriety and weightiness. Mm-hmm. He weightiness. had to die. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what it costs. Yep. Yeah. This is what it required. Yep. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, because I think before you can kind of flatter yourself that you can live a good life um, if you can just get it right. But then that reality forces upon mm-hmm. you that there's none good. No, not one. No one seeks God. No one. You're dead in trespasses and sins. And if it's not for um, supernatural work of the Holy Spirit, he didn't die as your example. He, he came as a substitute. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then notice what happens is once that happens, the, their hearts burn. And I think it's so... It's so interesting when and where it happens. How does their hearts get set on fire? It's when he's opening up the scriptures. Mm. He's opening up the scriptures, and then when he breaks bread, they recognize him. What do you think that's a reference to? What? Communion, like the, the mm. relationships restored. Yeah, yeah, communion. Mm. You mean like when we have communion on Sunday? Well, or just when? know him communing with uh-huh. them, the breaking of bread, them fellow, mm. like that fellowship is restored, uh-huh. the relationship is restored. I think it can mean when we take the Lord's Supper too. Mm-hmm. I think it's all part of that, the reality of that's what we celebrate. And the, when the bread is broken, he blessed it, he mm-hmm. breaks it, and then they see. So it, it happens in opening up the word. It happens in gathering together and worship. It happens. These are the way it happens. Mm. And so it, when we take, so that's the text that sets up this chapter. Mm. And so as you're, as you're reading through it and kind of working through the chapter, um, actually one thing that can really help you as you're trying to read and battle distractions is always read with a notepad, always kind of read, marking it up. Mm-hmm. And one little helpful technique is whenever there's headings in the chapter is just turn those headings into questions. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And so she very helpfully gives three different headings in, the ch- in this chapter. And if you just turn those into questions and then write a sentence summary about how she answers that, you'll have a good handle on what the chapter is mm-hmm. about. So like her first one is, um, we can change it into a question, is where must we look to see Jesus? And of course, one of the themes is that what Jesus criticizes is you look to the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. See, often I think we would, we would um, envy disciples like the ones on the road to Emmaus and say, well, wouldn't it be amazing if you were there, you saw him, you heard his voice, you saw his face, you could touch him. And I've said and, that before too. Yeah, yeah. Somewhat jealous that the disciples uh-huh. had that, that one-on-one time with him. Yeah, but Jesus says, if you knew the scriptures, you look there, that's where you find out about me if you have the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. In one sense, they might be jealous of us because we have it in an accessible way that is just mind-blowing to them. I mean, the fact that we have two Bibles fully complete sitting on our table with the entire Old Testament here at Access is amazing. Mm-hmm. And it's the Old Testament is where you go. But then the next is, what will it take to see Jesus? And I think it's here is your eyes have to be opened. You think about the example of the Apostle Paul. I mean, nobody knew the Old Testament in his world better than he did. I mean, he was brilliant. And by the time he was 21, he would have, in essence, what we would consider like two PhDs, knew the Old Testament, had huge mm-hmm. sections of it memorized, but still didn't, didn't get it, mm-hmm. didn't see it. And it wasn't until he saw the risen Christ. And he talks in Corinthians about how every, every Sabbath when in the synagogue when Moses is read, so the Old Testament, you know, when it's read, that there's a veil and that mm-hmm. y- you have to have the veil removed. And that veil removed is the, the risen Christ. He removes the veil, whereas crucifixion, resurrection, it gives you eyes to see. So that's why you do a study in Genesis. You have to start here because, you know, this is what it's, what it's ultimately about. Then you have to just kind of learn, you know, the gospel, ask for gospel eyes where you begin to see and make the connections. And that's what studies like this, they help you develop the skill of doing that. And then the last thing is, how do you come to understand Jesus? Well, you need tools and you need people to help you and you need community and you need a book like this. Um, Are there any other things you can think of just off the top of your head that really help you? have a gospel sensibility as you're reading the Old Testament or studying it? Mm-mm. can't think of off the top of my head. I mean, actually, I volunteer in our kids' ministry today, so first time. And <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to toot that horn for Mark because <laughs> I'm very proud of myself. And, uh, but I love our curriculum. It was so good. And I was mm. just thinking, man, I really would take some things to do with this to really help them. There's really good connections. Another thing that's been helpful for us or that I've found really helpful recently is the study Bible, the Gospel Transformation Study Bible. Mm. They do a good job, uh, things like that. But that's our goal. We want to encounter the risen Christ through his word and see him and uh, be changed by him. So that's what we're hoping we'll experience each week and what we're hoping this will be a tool to aid you in that. So looking forward to it. All right. Well, thanks for listening, guys.